Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Welcome back <laughs> <laughs> to Box Office Bingers. It is episode 183. Matthew, if they haven't figured it out by now, we are. You know, I'll let you tell them. What are we reviewing this week? Uh, we are reviewing uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, the latest animated film to hit the theaters, uh, starring Micah Abbey. Shaman Brown Jr., Nicholas Cantu, uh, Brand Brady Noon. Uh, this one's Nicholas Cantu, Ao Edebiri, Jackie Chan, Ice Cube, okay. Maya Rudolph, Paul Rudd, John Cena, and Seth Rogen. Yes, and a plethora of other characters as well. Written and directed by Jeff Rao. Rowe? I think it's Rao. I think it's Rowe. I think Rowe. Uh, Jeff Rowe, uh, who directed the, Mich- the Mitchells versus the Machines, which was a great animated movie. Great movie. Um, it's over on Netflix if you haven't seen it. Uh, co-directed by uh, Kyler Ka- Kyler Spears, who was the storyboard artist for the Mitchells versus the Machines, um, and it's also written by. It's a lot. A lot of hands are in the script. Not only is Jeff Rowe, uh, Rowe, sorry, Jeff Rowe was in this. Uh, was also writing the film. Seth Rogen. And Evan Goldberg, who both have collaborated on writing multiple films like Superbad, Pineapple Express, This Is the End, Sausage Party, as well as both being the creators of the FX series Preacher. Which I've heard great um, things about. Which is same. I also heard great things about it. Um, in addition to those three writers, we also have Dan Hernandez and Benji Samit. 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 Uh, they've collaborated on writing multiple films like Pokemon Detective Pikachu and The Addams Family 2. Good movie. Detective Pikachu was a good movie as well. Yes, you're right. And then last person to write to have a hand in this movie is Brandon O'Brien, who wrote Neighbors, The House, Mike and Dave Need, and Mike and Dave Need Wedding Date. So a lot of Seth, I feel like a lot of Seth Rogen came in here and was like, hey, hey, friends, let's Let's like he had like some of his friends writing on this movie. He has a lot of people who worked in animation writing in this movie as well as directing this movie. So a lot of cooks are in the kitchen. But I guess what we're later going to be talking about Ernesto was is all of those people involved in this movie equal to a great product? Yeah, because are we are we? Go well, I was just going to say like those things either they usually go either way. So it's either going to be yes. really bad. Or it's going to be really good. <laughs> I, guess, yeah, I guess we'll it, have it, to see. You make a really good point because, yeah, when you have that many hands in the kitchen, or cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, uh, you're like, well, is it going to be a mess? 
which sometimes it can be, or are, are these great collaborators coming together to, to really fine tune a great product? Um, but yeah, and also, I mean, if anything's certain, we know the animation style is a little bit different than we're used to seeing in your normal animated films. So we're going to be talking about that. And also, you know, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem worth saying Cowabunga to? Ernesto, we're going to be talking about that Ooh. a little bit later on to the show. But it's been a while, sir, since it's just been you and me. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had our lovely guests on the show talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer and Haunted Mansion. Um, I feel like I'm missing a few. No, no, that was the last three. Um, but yeah, yeah so now closing it's out the summer. Again. We're closing out the summer. We are, we are, and you know, and also we we've been talking about this that we want to in in a future episode, maybe not the next one, but as we get into the fall, probably around Labor Day or so after Labor Day, we want to dive into the summer blockbuster recap yeah or the summer box office recap because i feel like and we've just we talked about this before out of all of the the out of all the summers in so this one has been quite interesting not what we expected yeah and like for good and for bad i feel like there are some movies that were surprisingly good like that i think the 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 and you know what I'm going to save it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to, because I was about to go into a whole different rant. Yeah. But what I do, what, what I will say is that it's going to be an interesting conversation because there were a lot of surprises that I didn't expect from this summer, from the summer blockbuster. Some that were surprisingly good. Some were that were yeah. expectingly bad. Some that were not bad. Um, somewhere that were in the middle. And I think what's just mm -hmm. interesting is to see where those numbers lie. Like as far as yeah, what the budget was. What what were their projectives? Like what did they think that they were going to make as opposed to what actually came about in the theater? Exactly. And and so, yeah, we're going to be doing a deep dive on that in the next couple of episodes. Like I said, shortly after Labor Day, as we wind down the summer blockbuster season. Right now we have Turtles. We still got Blue Beetle on the horizon. Gran Turismo, I feel like that's at the end of August. Yeah. That's kind of rounding out uh, the, the kind of the summer there. And then like getting into Labor Day, we have like we're starting getting into your typical either your indie horrors, your dramas, your, you know, kind of. A little bit of action movies. You get like a well-rounded as well as your Oscar bait yeah. is coming into the fall and winter season. Pre-Oscar season. <laughs> Pre exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so you can look forward to that conversation in future episodes. But for now, we're going to be diving into some entertainment news as well as what we've been watching later on in the show. It's been a while in essence since we talked about uh, some entertainment news. But as we are often reminded, the reason why we don't have as much news to talk about is because of the ongoing writers and actors guild strikes that are happening right absolutely. now absolutely so when no production when no productions are happening we're not gonna get <laughs> no news to come out of it which makes a lot of sense but every now and then there's a few things that's been trickling in and it's been a while since we've talked about some news but so we're kind of catching ourselves up and the first one we want to talk about is gal gadot she has some interesting things to say um so speaking to comicbook.com to kind of promote her new film heart of stone that's on netflix right now um and she had this interview before the sag after strike began uh but wonder woman actress gal gadot has stated that a wonder woman 3 movie is in development under a new under the new leadership of dc studios co-ceos james gunn and peter saffron she was quoted saying i love portraying wonder woman it's so close to and dear to my heart from what I've heard from James and from Peter is that we're going to develop a Wonder Woman 3 together. This comes despite 
This comes despite no official announcement from Gunn or Safran, and with the studio's decision not to move forward with the Patty Jenkins sequel back in December of 2022, when the script didn't fit Gunn and Safran's new vision for the DCU. Gal Gadot has, however, continued to appear as Wonder Woman in both Shazam! Fury of the Gods and The Flash, which we two films we've talked about in previous episodes. So that was already interesting to hear that little piece of news that, okay, she's working on a Wonder Woman 3 with Gunn and Saffron. But then about a week after that news broke, Variety reported that after citing numerous sources with knowledge of the situation, Gunn and, Gunn and Saffron did not, in fact, have any plans to develop a new Wonder Woman project outside of the upcoming live-action mm. drama series Paradise Lost, which is set in the... Uh, Mascara. Uh, the, thank you. Home of the Amazons and birthplace of Wonder Woman. So, Ernesto, we're, we're getting conflict of word. And it's like he said, she said situation here. It's almost like, like she wanted to call him out. Like maybe they were talking about it. They were maybe starting the negotiations for it. But she figures if she jumps the gun, I, I don't, I, I don't know. That it's well, why would I just don't understand why would you do that? Like why would you? And then, but Gun has specifically said. If it does not come from me or the studio, then it's not then it's then it's not true. Just assume that it's not true unless right. you hear it from me. He goes because a lot of the stuff online is and he we talked about it before he, when he was on the um, mm-hmm. Michael Rosenbaum podcast. He talked about like how like there's there's stuff there's stuff out there everywhere. There's people like some of it's kind of true, some of it's like not true some of it's they've got some parts right or like it like unless it comes from him just don't worry about it and plus this is like i think it's weird like seeing all the casting rumors like like let these people figure it out like what why do we i like i it's fun i guess it's fun to kind of see who they might pick but like just be patient let's just wait to see who they pick and then let's do a deep dive on the person like we don't need to be up their ass like I don't know. I just don't see the part. I just don't see the necessity to be all these unnecessary rumors. Like you see online, there's so many websites that are like, "Ooh, this person might be doing this." James Gunn started following this person, so that means that they might be coming <laughs> yeah. to the DCU. I was like, "Oh my, get the fuck out of here! Get out of here with that!" <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little bit too much. It's like, oh, James Gunn is following somebody; they have to be part of the DCU. Like, no. No, he doesn't have to be part of no. anything. Um, but yeah, I do find it interesting, though, because when I first got this little tidbit, I, I, I was under the same mindset of like, well, Gunn didn't say anything. So I'm taking what Gal Gadot said with a grain of salt. Um, and now and Gunn still didn't say anything about these rumors. These are just variety reporting that sources with knowledge of the situation saying that there is no conversation about mm-hmm. that. But when I first heard this news anyway, I was like, OK, Gal Gadot working on a Wonder Woman 3 with Gunn and Safra. And at the, at the time, it's like, look, I like her in the role, but at the same time, if you're recasting Batman and you're recasting Superman and you're doing two brand new stories in there, I feel like it's only fair you do the same thing with Wonder Woman. Like, just do a clean slate with this DCU. We don't need any baggage coming in. We're slowly introducing new characters. We're slowly building back up into this new world. Let's just do it with everybody. Like, Zack Zach Snyder had his moment and now they're moving in a different direction with the DCU, and I'm perfectly fine with it. And that. it doesn't really mean anything that she was in Shazam and The Flash, because those sure. universes don't exist. That universe doesn't exist anymore. 
Like right. that, that, right. The, that we are in the new, this is where the blue beetle is going to be, which is also kind of weird because he's not calling the blue beetle, a DCU film, but it is a DCU character. So it's almost as if he is the only one that's coming over from this other, from this other DC universe. Yeah, it does. It does pretty much feel like he's like, "Hey, Blue Beetle, we're introducing Blue Beetle," but it, it, like the character is gonna be in the movie or in like in the future, but maybe not this world. This film. he's just he's been yeah. very. I've just noticed that he's been very specific in his wording when he talks about Blue Beetle. He says Blue Beetle is the first DCU character, but it's not the first DCU film. I guess because. It's the first one that he's taking on, but it's not. I guess because it's not the start of his universe. I just, it just, it just seems very strange. So then, if he's the first character, is this world that we're about to see? Does it not matter? Is he gonna? Is it gonna right, end with point. him coming over to the James Gunn universe? Is is he just gonna show up, or is it hit? This is his city, and it is part of the universe, but it doesn't really matter as a in the grand scheme of the universe. Right, and I guess when we see the movie coming up later this later this month, I guess a lot of hopefully answers will be revealed in that moment. But I also read in the reports that James Gunn didn't really have much involvement with the final say of this movie. Mm. So maybe, maybe, in a way, they're like, this movie's just going to exist. This character is going to move is going to continue. Um, but this isn't the first movie that that he that James Gunn is considered being the DCU. The first movie is Superman Legacy. Mm. But maybe he likes the character and what they've done, and this this movie has zero ties to Zack Snyder's verse as we know it. As far as we know, Wonder Woman could be in this movie too. True, <laughs> she's been in all the so other. So, what if this movie? Um, what if this movie is basically like a prologue to like this is like like oh, yeah. kind of getting our feet wet into the DCU? Maybe there there has to be some hints. I just for him to put such emphasis on this character specifically out of all. I mean, he had there's two. DC movies coming out this summer and that's the one that he said is the first character part of the universe. Why wouldn't you want to bring over the Flash? Well, right. Right. And also Go ahead. And also we have Aquaman that's coming out in December. Maybe, maybe Aquaman's coming out in December. We don't know what the ongoing strikes if they're going to push it back. Later in our news we're going to be talking about how Sony is pushing back a lot of films uh to get away from all this. So, yeah. So I, I don't know if, if we're going to get Aquaman this year or not, but um, that there's still another DC movie to come out. And James Gunn said nothing about Aquaman. So, uh, again, very interesting. It, and it is it is sad that they haven't come to an agreement yet, because I would love to hear from the, the main character of Blue Beetle. What um, what is this? What is yeah. his name? Uh, yeah, his name real quick. shit it's hard <laughs> yeah i was about to say yeah it's a... i love him i mean he's great he was great in um karate in, kid right no well yeah it's a or cobra, cobra kai, kai. Uh, cobra kai okay there it is zolo mariduena zolo mariduena i think is how you pronounce that um, he's great. He's great in Cobra Kai. Um, I believe he. I'd have to double check, but I believe he does his stunts, um, and he and he is and oh, he wow. is trained okay. in uh, martial arts. Oh, that's that's cool. Um, yeah. So I again, I mean, again, a movie that we were talking about later this month, but I'm I'm interested in see 
where does Blue Beetle fit into all of this? Where does even Gal Gadot fit into all this? Like, it, it does seem like she she's convinced that she's involved with the 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 future of DC. So maybe maybe not a Wonder Woman three is actively in the veil, but maybe she's be maybe she's involved somehow behind the scenes. Maybe there was a miscommunication there. Who knows really what's going on with that particular situation? But in my opinion, I say with the character, like we're recasting everybody else. Let's just do the same with Wonder Woman. Let's get a clean slate. Let's just you know move on from these next two movies and like, all right, the next one in 2025, we're going to get, um, you know, uh, James Gunn's universe at that point. But I think we're also going to get the, the commandos animated series before. Uh, yeah. Like, there's been some press yeah. coming out about that too, from just David Harbor, just those who have read the script and say that mm -hmm. it's hilarious. That, that I was like, it's funny. Yeah, it's I a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I'm sure by the by the next time we talk about Blue Beetle, uh, we're gonna be talking more DC stuff. But for now, who, the question's out on whether or not Gal Gadot is gonna be involved in the DCU moving forward. But uh, you know, interesting little piece of news that went back and forth uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, moving on from that, uh, Scream Seven is officially in the works from Paramount Pictures with Happy Death Day and Freaky director Christopher Landon taking over directing duties from the duo Matt. Ben Bentanili, Ulfpin, and Tyler Gillette, uh, aka Radio Silence. Those two are known as Radio Silence. Um, Radio Silence directed both the 2022 reboot of Scream and Scream Six, and are stepping back from the franchise to focus on their untitled Universal monster movie. Uh, details of which are being kept under wraps. So it kind of sucks, in my opinion, that they're not coming back to kind of round out the trilogy. We've had this conversation before, Nesto, that I feel like a director or a, a you know, group of directors should kind of finish out what they started, especially when it comes to a trilogy. Um, but what are your thoughts on this? Um, it's usually not good. It's usually not good. Um, so exactly for those exact reasons that you said, like you, they should be there to round out the trilogy. Um, like, it's just the vision is changing from then. Right. And and that's that's the sad part because I I like their style. I like with them with the franchise. And you know, Happy Death Day and Freaky, I enjoy those movies for what they are. A little bit campy, a little bit more comedy than it is scary. And I guess Scream is like that, but Scream is very meta. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not saying that he's a bad choice for the role. It just sucks that we just can't get radio silence to finish out this this movie, at least Scream 7, whatever that may be, um, if that was intentionally the last movie or not. And I'm sure what they're working on with Universal might be a bigger project. It says Untitled Universal Monster Movie. I think I also read that they were planning on doing both, but then one of the schedules got either pushed back and they're more committed to Universal Monster Movie than they are with, you know, rounding out the Scream franchise. So if this is in fact the last movie, we don't know. There could be more in the pipeline. Um, but yeah, doesn't seem like Christopher it. Landon doesn't. Seems problem. like it's gonna yeah, be it like uh, one of it's our generations, like continuing like Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street. Like they're right. just gonna keep, they're just gonna keep cranking them out, which I'm fine with because I love I love the Scream yeah. series, but I same really here. liked these last two films, so I'm in the same boat as you. I would have liked to have seen the same creator finish finish out a trilogy because there's gonna be. Right. 
there it's going to be disjointed like it's there's going to be yeah. you're going to see regardless of how well they talk to the previous director or whatever there will be you will be able to tell the difference between the the first right, two absolutely. and the last film 100 percent. and whether it's for the better i mean agreed 100 percent. but ho- hopefully it's at least hopefully it's still a good movie yeah, that's, that's what i'm hoping i don't for. think i've seen yeah I, so far i haven't seen really a bad scream movie so hopefully they he can continue to trend with his vision and like i said i think happy death day is is a fun concept and so is freaky so um so yeah so maybe he might have a unique spin on it that we can enjoy but only time will tell on that i'm really looking forward to a trailer i need to see a trailer first to see his style um anyway moving on from that donald glover the creator of Atlanta, along with his brother Stephen Glover, have signed on to write Lucasfilm's Lando Calrissian limited series for Disney+. Plus. This deal was reached prior to the writer's strike, apparently, and now we're just now getting word about it. Um, Donald Glover is there as he played a young Lando Calrissian in 2018 Solo, A Star Wars Story. News first broke of a Lando series being in the works back in December of 2020, so about two and a half years ago. At that time, Dear White People creator and Haunted Mansion director Justin Simeon was attached to the project. Though it would seem he's no longer attached, as Variety has told has been told that the Glover brothers will be writing this series alone. And even to expand on that, I was reading an article saying that he found out that he was no longer part of the project when this news broke. Yikes. So, yeah. Damn. So I guess when, <laughs> when he was... <laughs> When he was doing press for Haunted Mansion, um, I guess they asked him about that question because this news kind of broke in the, in the midst of because he's allowed to do press because he's director, but not the not the writers, yeah. um, and and the actors. So um, so yeah. So I mean, I don't know. And so I honestly, based on what we've seen from the Haunted Mansion, nothing nothing against Jensen Simeon. I thought it was a fun movie, but I'm leaning toward. Donald Glover just solo riding this because from what I've seen in the past from him. Oh, he's so he's such a great creator. You already know I'm such a I'm a I'm a hundred percent a Donald Glover fanboy. Like Swarm, Atlanta, I love all his work. Mm-hmm. And I think based off Atlanta and Swarm, we know he we know he can write good television. I'm hoping I'm hoping that Lucasfilm doesn't put their hands on it too much because I think the Lando series could be really good. Um, we don't know if he's going to be starring in it, but it only makes sense if he does. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think this news is a little bit for the better, to be honest with you. Um, I think, you know, what he's done in the past shows that he can carry on this series and he can actually have a really good spin on it. And he, and I, knowing him, he probably is not going to attach himself to a project if he doesn't feel like he can put his own spin on things. And the Star Wars franchise definitely needs a little, little newness to it than we've seen in the past. Um, uh, moving on from that, Sony Pictures, I teased this earlier. Um, Sony Pictures has made some significant release date changes to its upcoming films due to the ongoing uh, WAG and sag after strikes. The two notable films to get pushed back are Craven the Hunter being delayed by almost a year Sad. From October, yeah, it's very sad. It was supposed to be released October sixth of two thousand twenty-three, just in about a month and a half away. It got pushed back to August thirtieth, twenty twenty-four. Um, and the other delay is Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, which has been delayed indefinitely. 
with no release date given. That movie was supposed to be released in March of 2024. This news doesn't come too much of a surprise because we were kind of given a heads up that they didn't think the animators were going to be able to finish the movie. And we also want to get let them we make sure they get it right. So no rush needed on that movie needs to be up by the end of the year. If we if we have to wait till 2025, it would suck because of that cliffhanger. But I'll be OK if we wait that long, if we get a great product out of it. Um, the 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 films. Oh, I already said that uh, other films being shifted around are Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel, which has moved from its December release date to its new date of now March. 29th 2024 the karate kid reboot uh went from june of 24 will now be released in december 13th 2024 venom 3 has been giving an official release date of july 12th 2024 along with madam webb for february 14th 2024 and bad boys 4 set for june 14th 2024 so good so they they, That's what they, they have get. taken themselves <laughs> They've taken themselves out of 2023 altogether. Yeah. So it's going to be a yeah. very empty rest of the year. <laughs> it's, it's If this is any sign that this is more to come, I mean, Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, these are the big three right now. They're still holding out on, on, their, on their big movies to come out. So I'll be very curious to see if they continue that or they might pull back. And it would be a shame because then you're right. Like they're just going to leave all the Oscar movies out there and they're not going to leave all their big blockbusters to be pushed back to other dates. Um, so, yeah. So those are the new dates. If you're looking forward for any of those movies and among other delays, which is this one's kind of funny. The 75th Emmy Awards have been officially rescheduled to January 15th, 2024. It was originally scheduled to air next month on September 18th. So, if you were looking at the nominations and you wanted to catch up, now you have the rest of 2023 to catch up on some movies. Um, and I'm sorry, some TV shows. Those aren't movies. Some TV shows for the award season. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of crazy that they pushed it back that far. But as you know, if you have no actors, Ernesto, you got no award show. Yep. Otherwise, <laughs> it's like it's like an empty audience. It's like, hello. <laughs> Come get your award. We'll mail it to you. We'll mail <laughs> oh, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to come on TV and talk about it. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this is what um, they get. This is part of the strike. They got to mm-hmm. give these people. They have to get these people together and come to some sort of agreement. So, if this is what it takes, this is what it takes. Absolutely, and hopefully, again, they come to an agreement soon. Um, I think we're approaching, if not already, a hundred days on the writers' strike, and at least a month and a half on the actors strike. So yeah, it's actually about a month on the actors strike. Yeah. A month on the actors strike to a hundred days on the writer's strike. So hopefully, you know, the longer this goes, the longer they keep pushing things back and the longer people are out of work and, you know, that's not good for anybody. Um, so there you go. That's all the entertainment news we have for you guys this week. As always, you can find all the latest and breaking news on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore bingers and our Facebook and threads page at box office bingers. We post all of the latest and breaking news over there first, and then we'll come back in the show and we'll talk about it. So with that, we're going to move over to a fun segment we like to call What You Watching. So Ernesto, we'll start with you. What have you been watching? So I don't have much. You know, we're still watching Yellowstone, but I have mm-hmm. two other things. So I finally finished. Okay. I finally finished Welcome to Chippendales, um, the Kamel oh, okay. Nanjiani show. And it is really intense. 
and it tells a really really sad story and i'm i'm glad that i didn't know about it because i, I felt like as things were happening it was being written. like i was learning as it was happening as opposed to like watching the story or learning about the story um but kumail i can 100 percent see why kumail is uh nominated for his role in this show um it's an incredible story it is like so welcome to chimmadales is like the immigrant success story turned deadly oh so think of like an immigrant coming up like like flaming hot like somebody coming up and coming up with this great idea and having it come to fruition this is on a grander scale because this is an actual creation Mm -hmm. of a full-scale business that went that's now an international brand but it has a very very dark beginning um and it's and it's basically that like i don't want to get if you don't know the story like you should you should go check it out it is not there's a little bit of men dancing and stuff but i mean it's fine i mean there's other there's worse things on tv so it's like sure it's a bunch of good looking i'm sure men. it's a lot more yeah than it's that. it's like like magic mike level like you don't see <laughs> you don't see everything but you see enough <laughs> <laughs> It's it's more about the drama behind the Chippendales than it is about 100%. the Chippendales itself. I'm assuming one hundred percent, and it's just like a bunch of really crazy. It's like one crazy thing after another, and it makes you go, "Wow!" Like, and it's true. Like the story's true. They have the whole title end card about how it ends. Um, mm. It's a, it's a very sad story of of what wealth and jealousy can do can do to you and what and what can what how can how can success turn ugly for a person Mm, interesting wow um it was a very it was a very good watch it was uh seven seven or eight episodes um i'd have to go let me double check um i believe i believe so um but it was great uh great cast uh it has five, let's see eight episodes eight episodes eight episodes okay um worth it it was great great show highly highly recommend i i, I see why it's nominated um and i i like that we're i'm getting to see more from kumail like he's mm-hmm. he's somebody who has grown tremendously as an actor coming coming all the way from silicon i mean i've been watching him since he was on silicon valley which he was also great in but you know, mm-hmm. then he got jacked and became an became an MCU and <laughs> yeah, a turtle, and then now he's like been doing all these other little projects. Um, so I, I'm here for, and also the Big Sick, which I've heard great things, but I haven't seen. Uh, yeah, I've seen. It wasn't bad. I, I I enjoyed the Big Sick, but I mean, say what you want with Marvel. You know, a lot of people gave it shit, but when you become star and you go through the Marvel workout. Say what you want, but those actors they go on to do better, bigger, better things after that. They just like, create like better humans. It's like a, it's like they come, <laughs> they literally go in. I mean, look at Chris Pratt is the is the is the probably the most dramatic one. Like you look at him at Parks yeah. and Rec, you look at Andy, and then Star Lord comes out. Like yeah, <laughs> it's right. like a conveyor belt. He goes in as Andy, he comes out as like yeah. like looking like Star Lord. <laughs> And then shortly after that, he was in Guardians and Jurassic World, like two blockbuster yeah. monsters. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it gives you opportunities that you didn't have before. Now, I mean, who knows what came first? Elemental. I'm sorry. Elemental, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, Eternals 
or uh, Welcome to Chippendales. But I mean, yeah, I mean, he's also just a great actor. He's hilarious, too. Uh, remember, he did Stuber that was on Netflix as well. Oh, that's right. Um, I don't know if I saw I You yeah. saw that. I didn't get to see that. I did. Yeah, it was all right. It was fine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was fine. But he—he's—I always liked him as a comedian. I thought he's—I he's, think he's always great. Yeah. Uh, so the only other thing that I watched, which it, I believe is something that you watch, was on uh, Netflix, the Adam Driver movie '65. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. You didn't—you yeah. didn't like it? I actually kind of liked it. No, I did not. <laughs> but maybe see, and you know, and this is—I was going to bring up this point. I—I've noticed that. If regardless, if I think it's a bad movie, if my kids like it, I tend to be way more forgiving of anything that happens in that movie. Interesting. Simply because because they're creating some movies are just better. Did you go see the movie by yourself? First of all. Yeah. See, I think that is a movie you see with a group of people. Mm. That's a that's a communal experience because we were able. I don't know. But I mean, you're able to do that in the theater, but it. But I think it's different than when you go see it with somebody because sure. like seeing it with them and hearing them enjoy it, I find myself pulling myself into the into the movie, into the story more because they're enjoying it. But I mean, I, I don't know. It was a, a, a father and also it was a father daughter story. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, some of the action was kind of cheesy, like <laughs> like he fights like he fights like all these T-Rexes at the end. It's like, yeah, whatever. I also thought that he was going to die and. And that she was gonna, and that she would just live. But right. you know, they gave him the they gave him the fairy tale ending, which is was fine. But it's it seems like it's like a soft PG thirteen, like it's really like a PG movie. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, I didn't hate it. I just didn't care for it. It's like not to say that it was a bad. You movie. really didn't. You I, said it was a bad movie. You did not like it. Okay. I remember you saying you did not like it. Okay, well maybe I thought about it and it's like it's not not horrible. I just didn't. I just found it boring. I didn't find it exciting at all. Um, I felt like they the, he gave like a the premise movie. could have been flushed out a little bit. Yeah, I mean I do agree the premise and the plot could have been flushed out a little bit better. I I think like we had an interesting idea and also we had this sci-fi dinosaur movie and I think the biggest draw was like well when when did this take place and obviously they let you know at the very beginning of the movie when this took place um a lot of people thought it was time travel like they they left it in the trailers very um ambiguous of what how did we get here and then very early in the movie they reveal what was up and then i feel like once i got that reveal i was like oh that's what it is all right i guess sure um and then i wasn't really impressed after that (laughs) i mean i don't know i was for it but then like why is it that their range of distance is the exact same as ours? He was like, it's True. like, oh, we got to go this how many kilometers? It's like, oh, your planet just so happens to have the same measurement system as us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad. You said you saw it with the kids. I mean, also, I mean, it, it, it's even a good time to talk about, but, like, it's always – you always have a different experience either if it's in the movie theater, if it's at your home, if you're watching with people. Like – it's it's one of these like you know one of these things that we do like for us as activity hobby whatever you want to call it um like it changes based on your environment whether you're sitting like some some sometimes it's better to that you binge a show sometimes better you watch it with people um it's it's a communal experience if you go to the theater you might get something out of it a lot of people are making a big thing about going to see you know the latest movies in the theater that's us we want to get that movie theater experience Sometimes better to see with people because it's a communal experience. Um, so in your case, you saw it with your kids, and if they enjoyed it, then you enjoyed it. And 
I saw it by myself and I was like, eh, it's all right. Like, it's really just me here. So, um, but yeah, but I'm glad you enjoyed it though. I did. I like, and I th- and I think that's that's probably why. And if and I think maybe if I had saw it by myself, saw it by myself, I would have been way more critical. Right, and also like, it. I mean, and this is the whole point of this podcast too. Is like we see a movie, we come here and talk about it. Like we we could see a movie and just keep the thoughts to ourselves, and we could be having a different opinion. But then sometimes we walk out of this, you know, each episode and be like, you know what? we kind of changed my mind a little bit because yeah. I walked in there thinking one thing and then we talked about it and now I'm feeling a different way about the movie. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's just, just getting a different perspective from it. Like you, so, like you and Jacqueline yeah. talking to me about Barbie. I, I like, I, exactly, like I yes. walked in kind of negative, but like hearing you guys talk it out, like it, it just made way more sense to me. And I was like, all right, well maybe the things that I was critical about, like are, were dumb. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and the next time you go watch it, if you do watch it again, you might go in there with a different perspective, and then it might be a better experience for you after. That's that. funny you say so, that because yeah. I actually thought about seeing it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard that there it's coming. I think rather quickly. Um, it's going to be available at home soon, it, which I I feel like that's uh, that's not the best move, Warner Brothers. You want to hold on to that movie as yeah. long as you can. You that movie's a, a billion dollars. I'm just saying. You need to ride that out into the theaters until it reaches the top ten, and then re-release it later yeah. on like everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it's like it's like you're like i saw the article and it was like hey one um barbie is going to be available on video on demand september 15th or something or september 5th and i was like why the hell would you do that you're still number one in the box office right now you ride that out until you're at least out of the top five yeah are you crazy come on man who cares about the home the home money you, you're still reaping in that box office money mm. A lot of movies can't say that right now. <laughs> Very true. I think I read somewhere. I think I saw. I think it may have been this morning that Barbie is Warner Brothers' heart, uh, highest grossing film now. Yes, yes, you're right. I read that as well. I think it just beat The Dark Knight. Yes, that's right. which was, I believe, their their highest grossing film. Yeah, according to Variety, um, yesterday, Barbie surpasses. Come on, Variety. I don't want to look at your stupid ass. Sorry, I just want to read your articles. I don't want. <laughs> uh, Barbie surpasses the Dark Knight as Warner Brothers' highest-grossing domestic release in history. Mm. Greta Gerwig's fantasy comedy Barbie has crossed five hundred and thirty-seven point five million at the domestic box office, overtaking Nolan's two thousand eight superhero epic Dark Knight at 536 million as the highest grossing domestic release in Warner Brothers history which is interesting because wow. when you think about the dark knight it was also released in I, i'm i'm guessing he did it he released it in IMAX so you also have the IMAX sales yeah. from that as well which Barbie doesn't so actually Correct. so yeah, no... as far as numbers Barbie's probably doing better and I, I would, I always wonder if these numbers are adjusted for like ticket prices back then versus ticket prices now. Mm. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I mean, you're talking about a movie that was in 2008, and also, I mean, even to continue off of this, you're also adjusting like that. That was a total run of The Dark Knight. Barbie's been out for about a month, and it already beat that. Correct. Yeah. So, so and they don't like this, something to be said like there. This says they don't expect it to see anytime soon. Uh, Barbie will surpass Universal's animated Mario Brothers as the big, biggest domestic release of two, 2023. At Absolutely, this rate, yeah. 
Barbie, which just hit 1.2 billion globally, has just sh- has also a shot of eclipsing Mario at one point. It will absolutely beat Mario. Yeah, absolutely. At 1.35, yeah. Ma- Mario's already available at home as the mm-hmm. widest, highest grossing release worldwide of the. When did when did Barbie release? It hasn't even has it been a month yet? Hasn't even been a month. Yet. Uh, July 21st. So it? we're coming up on a month. Wow. No, no, no. Sorry, it's seven. It says yeah. Ju- it says here as of yesterday it was seventeen days, but I don't. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's accurate because I saw it before I left. On... Yeah. I, now I'm. Now I'm questioning. Oh it. no, it's been a no, month. Hold on. Barbie, which has yeah, remained yeah, the Jill- number one week move number one movie for four consecutive weekends. And after only no, it hasn't. It hasn't been a month yet. It came out July twenty first. Today's August seventeenth. It's oh, yeah. less than a month. Still less than a month. So after yeah. 17 days in theaters, it became the fastest WB film and eighth in the studio's 100-year history to join the Billion Dollar Club. It would have mm-hmm. it would eventually outpace 2011's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two at 1.34 billion as the studio's highest grossing worldwide. It it will absolutely beat that. I it would absolutely. Uh, I think that, yeah. it, I think it absolutely will beat that. That's really that's and really interesting. Who would have thought, who thought too? And and ladies and gentlemen, that's just a taste of our summer blockbuster, summer box office recap. Well, I just because we were just um, talking about Barbie, but yeah, that's just a taste. Yes. But I mean, Barbie was that a lot of it has to. Wow, that's crazy. That is so mm-hmm. crazy. There's just that's so crazy to think about. And yeah, that's so really interesting. Is. Well, that is a taste of what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. For the box office, uh, well, we'll have more. We'll have better. We'll have better numbers assessed by then. Um, but other than that, absolutely. Back to sixty-five. You saw how you know. See how great that worked out. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Well, Ernesto, we're just putting the box office and box office bingers. We wouldn't be box office bingers without talking about the box office. That's what we do. Exactly. <laughs> um. See, I also haven't been watching much. I've been chipping away at Star Wars Rebels. Mm. I just got into season three, um, so out of four seasons. So I've been kind of watching that mainly. Uh, but there is two episodes I want to talk about uh, primarily, and it's the finale of season two, which any fans of Star Wars Rebels might know this, but it's called Twilight of the Apprentice Part 1 and Part 2. It closed out season two. Um, and Ernesto, all the other stuff, Everything I've watched beforehand was fluff compared to these two episodes. <laughs> so they got you. It this it, this right here is what everyone's talking about. I feel like anyway, it's like, oh wow, now I've reached mm. what what people are talking about. This this is Star Wars at its peak right now. Those two episodes were just amazing. I was blown away by them. Um, yeah. So, and I and I think we we also talked about this because you talk about like watching it for Ahsoka, and that's what I'm doing. There is very much uh, a way that you can pick and choose certain episodes and get the gist of what's going on in the series, a hundred percent. So, if you're interested in that, Ernesto, I can send you a list of movies of of, of episodes to kind of watch if you want to get the gist of what's going on. But yeah, this this series, a hundred percent, you can definitely pick and choose certain tentpole episodes to get the gist. So you can get yourself ready for Ahsoka or just in general, like um, star, like just 
just to get like a recap of the series. Also, Disney Plus put out a watch guide to leading up to Ahsoka. Oh, really? And it's comprised of ep- yeah, it's it's comprised of episodes from uh, the Clone Wars, um, from Rebels, as as well as um, the the ep- two episodes from the Mandalorian, which he was in, and uh, the Tales of the Jedi animated anthology series, which I believe features three episodes of her um like upbringing and her origins and stuff like that as well um so yeah i think it comprised of like if i had to guess maybe 15 to 20 episodes of just purely focusing on like the big episodes that really uh help you understand ahsoka's story so if you're interested in that disney plus did the work for you um and then the other thing i've been watching I kind of took a playbook from what you said, Ernesto, from last week, and I decided, well, if Ernesto said it's good, then I'll give it a shot. Um, I watched The Meg, and Meg 2, well, I watched the first one to lead into the second one. Uh, I watched Meg 2, The Trench. And remind me your thoughts on the movie again. <laughs> well, you obviously didn't like it. Um, it was, but I think it was another one of those, like, it was fine. Like, it had a weird, you know, I told you about that, that part where he went down under and he's like 25,000 feet under the, the ocean and he can swim with no, all of a sudden, he's a Superman. He can just swim with no suit on because of his deviated septum. Like, it was a fine monster movie. Get out of here with that, <laughs> Ernesto. Get out of here. When, he, when they said that, I was like, give me... A break. We just saw a woman's head explode. Give me a break on that. No, sir. I was I was already checked out before that moment, but I was really checked. And that was the beginning of the movie. I was like more about halfway. And I was like, no, get out of here, sir. The 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 tech woman that, that would like betrayed them. Spoilers, by the way, because I'm, I'm aggravated. <laughs> the the tech woman in that movie. She was so bad. I'm sorry. Nothing against her as an actress, but she did not do that role any good whatsoever. Remind me. Remind um, me. Who, whole, who is she? She. I don't know. She was blonde and she had glasses on and she was like part of the crew and then she turned on them. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. And then she got eaten by the sharks. Like this right here. Tap, tap, tap. This is glass. This is shark proof. And then just the shark just eats her immediately. <laughs> And it's like, all right, that's stupid, campy, but whatever. But what really kind of just aggravated me the most was like the ending. The ending, Ernesto, was so bad. It was cheesy. It's a, so, it's a. See, but it's, it's meant, it's so but it's cheesy. meant for. I think that movie is meant for a younger audience. I don't know. It wasn't meant for me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that. And you know, when I rewatched the Meg, I, I enjoyed it. It still hold up. Yeah, pretty the well. first one. Yeah, this. Yeah. Like. And and you made a really good comparison last last week that it was like Jaws, it felt like a bigger Jaws, like a more action Jaws. Like we didn't see much of the shark; it was more of a threat. It was just like like there was like little moments of campy, but it was more grounded than I remember. And I was like, you know what? This is pretty solid. Like you know, for what it's worth. Like I, it's very, it was very actually very simple. Like we go down this trench. And the shark was able to, you know, to to go through it, uh, go through the th- trench when they went through it. Makes sense. Pretty simple. Now we have to get rid of it before it causes more harm. And then we start the second movie, and it's like, 
okay, so we have like this aquarium of a Meg now. Like, how the hell did that happen? Like, I don't understand that. We just gonna brush by that. We've been exploring the trench for a while. I mean, if I was gonna give this movie a positive note, was like the trench was cool looking. Like, I I was fine with what it looked like. I thought the like the the the, the little vessel that they were in to go down there and that whole science of it all. Like, I I can still appreciate that, but. Like, even, like, when we were inside the trench, that was interesting. I'm surprised we got out of the trench so quickly. And then mm. we went back to the land, and we went to, what, Fun Island, Party Island, and that they brought back the dog from the first Yeah, movie. Pippin. But see, I know it's funny. We're, we were, see, see, but there's, here, the here is a perfect example of what I was talking about. Because, yes, it was okay. dumb, but for us, we, the first, when we watched the first one, we were like, Pippin! Like, we were just joking. Like, I didn't know they were going to bring the dog back. So when they brought the dog back, that actually was a fun moment for us to watch together. Because in the theater, we were like, yeah. Pippin! Live! Pippin! Live! <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's what I mean. Like, maybe movies like that, movies and ch- primarily movies, like, like, it's better as a communal experience. Like, it's almost like almost like you can't really enjoy it by yourself. Did you watch it by mm-hmm. yourself, or did you watch it with Megan? I did watch it. Yeah, Megan. We, I did watch it by myself, uh, but I was actually surprised how packed the theater was. Like it was a Tuesday, yeah. and it was it was pretty it was pretty busy, like on, on a Tuesday night. Maybe because it was like the movie deal that Regal has. Like, if you go see a movie on a Tuesday, it's only $5, so I guess that maybe has something to do with it. But the movie was out for, like, a week already, and it was still, like, half full on a Tuesday night. So, you know, good for good for The Meg to – and also, I look look this up real quick, but The Meg 2 is doing huge numbers internationally right now. Like, it's not faring too much. Like, it beat Oppenheimer on an opening weekend. Like, it, it beat him by, like, just, like, just like a couple million. Not much. But, like, Barbie was number one, Meg was number two, and Oppenheimer was number three. And then in its second weekend, it was Barbie, Oppenheimer, and then Turtles actually beat it at that point. But I was surprised that the Meg even beat Oppenheimer because the Barbenheimer was so strong. And, and then, but internationally, though, internationally, like, okay, it's doing fine over here. Kind of, like, the Meg 2 kind of slumped a little bit, open with a $30 million, a little bit under than what the Meg opened originally. But, two, I believe it's $250 million it, it has so right now. Meg 2, uh, by WD, domestic opening was $30 million. So, so far, oh, internationally? So, domestically, it's only made, almost, it's made $58 million, $58,825. Uh, yeah. Um, internationally it's made 204 million dollars wild. wild that's crazy up, i see it here it makes up 77 percent of the total box office and in total it's in 62.9 million dollars internationally because it's just a fun monster movie. It's a fun movie. It's a fun summer movie. It's. I mean, we're, I know we were talking about doing our box office thing before, but this is part of it. Like, this is a fun movie mm-hmm. to see with a group of people in the summer. And primarily, it's geared. It's a monster movie that's geared towards, like, yeah. a younger, tween, like, older kid audience. Do do we have a budget on that? Out of curiosity, uh, does it I say think, on that? I think I had it. Let's see. 
I can look it up real quick as well. But I, I, I'm curious if the budget's actually large or not. Oh, I have it here. Uh, $129 million for the budget. So it definitely made its, it's money back. It's already made its money back. Like, who who cares? Yeah. They're going to make another one. <laughs> yeah, they are. The, I, I will say I have one more gripe about the movie as well, is that the first movie never really established that Jason Statham was an action star in that movie, which I kind of appreciated mm. in the sense. But the Meg 2, the first scene, he's like kicking ass. And I was like, I know that's what you do, Jason Statham, but that's not what you did in the first movie. Not at all. Like, uh, you were invading sharks, sure, but you are never, like, kicking ass. Yeah. Now he's, um, like, he ta- like, like, taking down environment- environmental terrorists, which, yeah. which, which, which I did think was interesting that the movie felt a need, that yeah. it took a st- – like, each movie felt a need to pinpoint a worldwide issue. Like, the first one was the shark poaching, and then, obviously, the Meg took care of them. And then the second one, it was the underwater mining. Same thing. It's like, or the mining for like natural resources and like how that affects the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's like they found these real world issues and found a way to implant it into these storylines. I, I, it's, it worked for me. It was fine. And, and who would have thought that the big, big corporation is the villain of it all as well? Surprise, surprise. Yeah. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe under a different mindset, I might enjoy it. I didn't think it was horrible. I just felt like, compared to the first movie, for me this was like a big step in the in like back. Well, the first one's definitely better in, in this. Frame. Yeah, I yeah I, I I think to me the first one has a good sense of groundedness, and it was just the, to me that was a fun movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Like rewatching it again, I didn't think I was gonna like it. You know, I I remember liking it, but. I just remember it just being okay, and now I'm watching it again. I was like, you know what? This is pretty solid. Like, I enjoyed it a second time around. Uh, but this one just felt very different, very campy. I did like the giant octopus, though. Yeah, that was cool. I did like that. So That was cool. Um, but, yeah. But I totally but I, I totally did. called that the the shark at the end, like, not eating him. I was like, that shark was like, we were like, that shark's going to be the savior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like with anything, I would prefer more big monsters. Just like you do that, like the Godzilla versus Kong. You give me big monsters, I'm more or less happy about it. Like more about that because I could honestly care less about the humans in this scenario. And also, like <laughs> the I forgot his name. It's it's the black guy in the movie who was in the first movie. His name is Paige Kennedy. He played DJ, um, and he was Tyrese from the Fast franchise. Yes, he, he was. was. That's, that's I got poison bullets cool. just like in Jaws three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Come on! Like, I feel like that. Even like, even Cliff Curtis, like he played a comedic role in here. He was like his sidekick, or vice versa. Um, it did look like they bring back the same. Yeah, they brought back the same uh, young actress who was in the Meg to be in the sequel. So that was kind of cool. Um, I am back the um the, the love mom. interest or. The mom, for yeah. Jason Statham, she died in the first one. I guess she died in the yeah. opening of this one. They're like, yeah, she died. She's gone. Yeah, she's like, nope, not coming back. It's like, wow, she was um, a main lead in the first one, so it's kind of weird to just kind of like just say that she's dead. What well, you know? I guess if she didn't want to come back and yeah. do it, then it is what it is. Well, it, just quickly doing a search on her IMDb, her last movie was The Meg. Like her last U.S. movie was The Meg, and then she was in. It looks like a. I believe a Chinese film. Yeah, a, a Chinese film in 2022. So, 
uh, yeah, so she maybe she took a break from acting. Maybe she didn't want to do it. Because it was like a hard stop in 2018. And she was in a lot of U.S. movies as well leading up to it. You had The Forbidden Kingdom. You have uh, The Resident Evil uh, Retribution. You have Transformers Age of Extinction. And then The Meg as well. So, yeah, she took a, maybe she's taking a break. Maybe she didn't want to be involved. And there's like, all right, we're going to kill you off. Brother instead. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I was. I would say I didn't really have any expectations for the Meg Two. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but like compared to the first one, I for me it wasn't as fun. I, I I couldn't lean into the campiness. I guess that's that's the that's the big into it. You were able to and had fun with it. Yeah. I was not, and I didn't think it was enjoyable. I think that's that, that's where the line yeah. is right there. Well, um, you watch Fast and the Furious, so uh, it's anyway, not, I know that you like campy. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, it's, it's fair. I guess I have my limits. Sure. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, I'm, but, I, but I'm willing to uh, accept and not accept. Um, I guess so. I guess it varies between movies. Um, but anyway, that's what we've been watching. So now let's dive into a review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Ernesto, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on the film? I have to say... I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I love the soundtrack surrounding the film was was great. I thought the way all the voice actors, the way they paired together was, was great. I mean, Ice Cube was surprisingly my favorite. Him as Superfly, <laughs> like, he was made to be this character. Like, he just fit... I, it just fits so well into everything that they were trying to go do. Like, I honestly, I honestly want to see this movie again. Like, I love the way the turtles mesh together. I love the little tease we got of Shredder at the end. Um, I am curious about what what they're gonna do with um, Bebop and Rocksteady because they're bad guys. Like, they're they're bad guys of the yeah. movie. So I wonder. Is it going to be Shredder that makes him come over? Like, is there going to be some big blowout in the second one? Um, I thought the story was simple enough to follow. I thought everybody kind of played their role. Like, I I overall really, really enjoyed this movie. Like, kind of from start to finish. I was kind of in... I, I couldn't agree more with you, Ernesto. I was kind of in the bag pretty early in the movie. Yeah. Like, I, I was ready... I, I think for me... Well, actually, I wouldn't say that. Once the turtles were introduced, I was kind of on board from there. Like it was, it took like the the opening scene with um, with the um, Superfly and his and his dad. Yeah, with his dad, which was I believe voiced by John Carlos Pizzito. Yes, it was. Um, yes, and uh, yeah, when they were like, he was like kind of making sure no one was tampering with his stuff, and before he got raided, like. Like I wasn't like that was that was fine opening the movie with you know it's it established what they needed to establish, um and then from there once we got the turtles though, man were they just a fun bunch right? like just a, a fun just a, just a fun group of kids we outside like, that when she's recording them that that was part of my favorite part like oh you gonna you gonna document it it's like oh we outside we outside <laughs> like just doing like dumb kid stuff like I thought it was hilarious yes. Yes, it, you're right. It's dumb kid stuff, but I, for me, what I really latched on like the most was that like they established like the heart really early in the movie. Yes, like you can tell that they're like, okay, we have to get groceries. We we're, we're sneaking in about. We're doing this and that, and then like, hey, they like 
dad doesn't know how long it takes for us to get groceries and supplies. Let's let's go catch a movie. There's like a movie out like in the park. Let's go do that. And then we see like a live action like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I thought was a nice touch as far as like the movie that you're that you're your movie that you're showing is like a live action. Like they, they show the actual movie instead of like an animated version of that. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, like animation wise. Um, <clears throat> but like, yeah, they established really early that like these kids just want to be kids. They want to be normal and they, they can't do that because how other people would see them. So they have to kind of be in the shadows. And we, we started with the, with the funny and we started with the heart really early. And like, and that was before we even got their origin story. So we, I was able to connect with them really quickly. And I think that right there helped with the foundation for the rest of the movie, that we were able to comedically get to them and, and a little bit of heart in there as well. Like, we feel sympathy for these characters, like, immediately. Yeah, you even like, you even we, start to feel that for Jackie Chan towards the end when he's mm-hmm. – and in, in he used – and it's in, I love that they built that writing – you know, considering – the, there was a lot of hands writing this movie. I actually have to say that the writing on this movie was actually, I feel, was really well done. Like the, I felt like the stories tied to what together really well. Like literally, they gave Superfly and Jackie Chan the same arc, just on opposite ends of the spectrum, where they both were yes. trying to, like, they both were trying to achieve a thing one, but they were both doing it by force. They were both doing it the same way, but it was that's how Jackie um, Splinter was able to see the error in his ways by seeing what Superfly was doing, that he was doing the same thing just on a grander scale, like and causing this destruction. And he realizes that he's being destructive towards his kids in the same fashion, that he needs to take a step back and let them kind of grow and be their own person. So I thought, I mean, I, I, I like that they were able to tie him into the story that way. Yeah, and I, and I also really appreciated, like to your point, like we got... They had the same thing happen to them, like, like uh, Superfly and S- Splinter, mm-hmm. right? That's 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 the, yes. yeah. To your point, they try to like they with with innocence try to go out there and be a part of the world. Society turned them down, and you see Splinter go into hiding, and like we just need to stay underground and we can live a happy life this way. And then you have Superfly being like, we need world domination. Because we, I don't want to feel this way again. Like, it's just two opposite ends. But it's kind of genius in a way and quite simple to understand of, like, they both come from the same place. They just have a different idea of, like, of, of like how to approach it. And I, and then that's interesting. Also, that's I think that's a good lesson for kids, too. Absolutely. As, like, here's, like, like this is, like, the splinter route. It, I mean, and also maybe both reasons might not have been 100% right. Like, maybe don't go into hiding or don't be evil <laughs> um but you can like find a middle ground which i think by the end of the movie we do kind of find it kind of in a way like they save the day and so then they're treated as heroes so then they're accepted because they were heroes um but i feel like there could have been another you know another small way of kind of getting to that area as well without having to necessarily be the heroes but they prove to themselves and to the community and to the town that you know they are not like appearances isn't everything Thing. exactly like what it's what you do um with that but yeah I, I just i really like the message and then again go back to the comedy of it all like they wrote some great lines for them i wish i can remember them verbatim but they were just they were just riffing off each other so easily so simple um i i i really enjoy that aspect 
of it all. And like they even made to like uh, like a couple of references to like Mark Ruffalo and like we're real world stuff. It almost felt like that this was present day like this was a present present day Turtles movie as if they the that they themselves have watched and experienced the same things we have like in our day to day for the most part. Like they oh, let me let me rephrase. They are in tune with pulp culture. Yes. I guess as as much as as we are. Well, and I and I think as far as for the turtles you need to be because they're teenagers and that's what teenagers do. Mm-hmm. They engulf themselves in pop culture and what's hot and what's cool and what's not. Yeah, and and kind of going off of that, the um in in contrast to the norm for animation, the cast recorded their voices, their voice roles together in groups rather than independently from one another. A single recording session could include up to seven actors. This environment allowed the cast to play off each other as well as employ a lot of improvisation in their performances. According to Seth Rogen, he quoted he was quoted saying, For every session we looped, we lumped people together. We really went out of our way and bent over backwards to try to capture the improvisational energy you get when a lot of people are in the same place at the same time. And I feel like that 100% shows when, when you see the, a lot of these people interacting with one another. And I think that right there is exactly why this movie is successful. For that, for that reason alone, and you can, tell, you can tell when you're watching the film that they're talking to each other, that they're not just like reading mm-hmm. lines. And I guess I never really thought about it being so significant, but you can you can just tell you can tell that this was an ensemble film like it was just a group effort from everybody putting in their small part to make the pie right and i think also uh, i in a different interview i saw seth rogan explaining how he was saying that like i guess when he was recording his lines for the the lion king when he was he was pumba and uh, billy Eichner was timon and uh, John Favreau wanted them to record their lines together because they're a pair in the movie, obviously, and they wanted to riff off each other. And it would just been a better product for the film. So I, in an interview, he was he Seth Rogen said that he enjoyed that experience so much that when they were working on the turtles, he's like, I need this to happen because I feel like this can be a better product out of it. And hopefully maybe this could be a lesson, which I'm surprised this wasn't like kind of thought about before, like just put people in the same room. But I guess it's easier to just hire one actor for one time to read those lines. And, you know, that's how it's always been. But, you know, having them together, you would already think that it would be better that way. Like, just thinking out loud. Like, of course you want to have them in the same room if they're going to be, like, riffing off each other. Um, this is also the first time that the the four turtle voices were performed by teenagers for the first time in history of the franchise, which is crazy to think about. Like, these are teenage mutant ninja turtles, and it's the first time that teenagers were actually portraying these these characters um i find that kind of kind of wild to think about um this is also the first uh uh, teenage mutant Ninja Turtle movie to have a fresh rating on rotten tomatoes um which i guess compared to the other i guess the other animated movie and the The um, action the two like there's four live action movies i believe like two in the 90s two by michael bay um yeah, and I don't really care for the Michael Bay versions. No, the '90s either. ones; those are like, my, those are can't, those are beloved, and I will not hear any blasphemy yes. otherwise about those movies because <laughs> I I, I grew up on. Yeah, you better not. 
I mean, I love them. I love them growing up. I would watch them over and over and over again. I love those movies so much. There's so, I love how another, but maybe because of how campy they're, because those movies are super campy. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember the two from the 90s. I, I definitely need to give it a rewatch. It's been uh, so long since I've seen those movies. I don't remember anything from it. Um, but I remember liking them when I was a kid. I had no qualms with it. So I'm not, no, no argument here, Ernesto. You can, you know, the turtles are, are good on the live action front. But I remember the Michael Bay, like, I think he produced those movies. Um, like, I think, like, Megan Fox was April O'Neil, and um, Stephen Amell, who played Arrow, was, like, uh, Casey right. Jones, I yes. believe. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I don't remember them being good at eh. all, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it was fine. fine. But I think, I think what, what we can even see here is that, like, based on, and I think this, this kind of shows, you can tell when a movie is treated with love and respect for the character and for the craft. And you can see it with this what I described with the actors kind of lumping them together for voice work. But you can also see in the animation, it looked gorgeous. Yeah, it was beautiful. It, like, so, just so unique. You know, this is going to be maybe controversial, but I think. And I don't think it will be, but I think this movie should be in the conversation for next year. I think it's so well done. I think the animation is so different that it at least deserves to be like recognized. And I, this is a small part of the, the conversation I want to get into a little bit. Because I feel like we are seeing a positive shift in animation thanks to what happened in 2018 with Spider-Man. Um, spider-man into the spider-verse like it showed that like animation can be wild and crazy and we talked about that um a couple weeks ago with spider-man across the spider-verse how like inventive that animation style is but then we are seeing now like the like the benefits from like people watching that movie and seeing that what we can do with animation and like maybe people do want to see like different animation styles instead of your cookie cutter it looks clean and I feel like that between Across the Spider-Verse, I'm even going to put Puss in Boots the last yes, wish up there. Yes, 100% um, agree. Yes. Pixar's Elemental, which was clean, but it was a little bit different where I can appreciate what they were doing. It was, I think um, with, Ele- I, th- more I think with, El- yeah, it was polished with Elemental. It was more that it was like, almost like a step back into classic, beautiful Pixar animation. And I think the subject matter yeah. that they had like gave them the opportunity to really let that flourish like different like the, the all the different things you're able to see in that and how inventive they were able to use animation to showcase all that they had a, they had a great they had a great base to work with to make beautiful animation i guess is what i should say yeah and that's a good way of putting it too and from what we've seen from disney's upcoming animated movie wish mm. it does look like it's it's tweaking the animation style a little bit where it's not this polished version of a movie, but rather a different take, like just a different style that we're utilizing. Yeah. And I feel like all these different animation studios are taking notice from what I felt like started with Spider-Verse. Like that showcased that this is what people want. And now we're going to expand on that. And I think this movie's one of its many strongest points was like, we're just going to have fun with the animation. And when you see that as the audience, it looks like he took some time to give us like a different world to look at. 
that it makes the movie and that world more, I think, immersive in a way. Like it, we're we're being asked to kind of, like, you know, in a way, like, hey, just just think about the scene. We're not telling you this is a building, but it looks like a building. So just like appreciate the art of it all. And I and I do think that like, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Elemental, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem are all in great running for best animated feature of the year. And even I haven't we haven't seen Disney's Wish yet and that doesn't come out till November, but from what I can see based off the animation style, it looks different enough that they're going to give it a go and there's five five slots for animation. So why not put that one in there as well if it does if it ends up holding up on story-wise. But I think the biggest hits of the summer have been animation. Agreed. Because I have not seen a bad animated movie this year. As f- at least uh, at least stating those three: Spider Verse, Elemental, and now Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They've just been killing it lately, Ernesto. Not only with the animation style, but with the story. With the story, well. and even this one, like the voice acting in this film is incredible. Like, I mean, even Seth Rogen. I thought John Cena was great. Uh, Ice Cube was to me. Ice Cube was probably my favorite. Besides the four turtles themselves, like. He was my favorite. I loved the way I love Ao Edebiri's um, spin on April. Like it just seemed to mm-hmm. like the kind of anxiety ridden person that she was playing. I think that that worked. That one hundred percent worked. Um, uh, Andy Samberg as the little gecko thing. I thought that he was hilarious. Oh no, that was uh, Paul Rudd. I was believe. that Paul Rudd? It sounded like it yeah, sounded. See, it I sounded like I. I it totally sounded like Andy Samberg. I thought that was. I don't think Andy Samberg was in this movie. At least I. I don't I think you're right. I could be mistaken. I think. I think you're right. But I think. I think that's. Yeah, which is also great. I mean, this is a this is a stacked voice Absolutely. cast too. Like I mean, you they did they did right by hiring teenagers to play the the turtles, but everybody else is like known stars here. We outside. I just love that shit. That shit is so funny. <laughs> uh, um, fun. He played. Yeah, he was. Like, you're right. He was Mondo Gecko. You're. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Mondo Gecko. Um, a fun fact about Ice Cube. Ice Cube agreed to play Superfly because he liked the name. Yeah, Superfly. <laughs> yeah, Superfly. But he he was meant for uh, that he role. Also, God, he just he he. You yeah. could tell he was all. He was totally into it. Um, he also did it because his son watched the T, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon mm. as well. So, give give props to that. Um, but yeah, I think, like, yeah, I I, uh, I also the director. Another fun fact: the director wrote a letter to Jackie Chan requesting his Splinter, and obviously he agreed. Well, also going back to Master Splinter, I think there was a scene earlier on. I think it was early in the movie. Where he was kind of like fighting off a few bad guys. No, no, no. It wasn't. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about all those scenes now. The whole milking bit was hilarious. hilarious. Yes. The, the whole like, <laughs> I don't want to get milked. It's like, why are we talking about being milked? And then when they kind of, <laughs> it was such a stupid like joke to keep bringing up. But then it came to comedic effect when they are in the machine. And it literally said milk and machine 2000. <laughs> and I died in the theater. I thought that was fantastic. Hilarious. Um, that was really funny. But going back to Jackie Chan and him voicing Splinter, when he when Jackie Chan when Splinter was saving the the turtles from the milk machine, I I it, to me anyway, it felt like they they were utilizing Jackie Chan's 
uh, martial arts style that I've seen in his previous movies. Um, it just looked very Jackie Chan, like he was used. Like Splinter was very much using his environment mm, to yes. to kind of take down the bad guys, and I I can only imagine that they did that intentionally because of Jackie Chan voicing the the role. I agree. I, yeah, I didn't even I didn't even think about that, but that whole scene of him like he's using stuff from all around the room to take out the guys, like it it did feel very mm-hmm. very much like Jackie Chan. Yeah, and again, kind of going into level of detail they're willing to put into that, it's just a nice touch, and also paying homage to Jackie Chan, who's been in numerous amazing films throughout his career. Um, and uh, I think I had one more. Yeah, or even going back to Shredder, uh, apparently Shredder was originally in the film, but was written out because the writer, uh, Jeff, Jeff Rowe, uh, wanted the film's villain to be a mutant, that shared turtles and who could easily tempt corrupt them. So he kind of mm. went because of the story wise, they, instead of going with your classic splinter, it felt like he wanted like kind of what we were explaining earlier. You have a character um, that had, that came from a similar upbringing and, you know, you know, they were able to, he's had sway them just a little bit on certain aspects of it. Um, but yeah, I, if there was only one gripe that I would say with the movie, is that I felt like that Superfly's goons kind of switched very quickly. Well, I I see what you mean. Like like they needed well because that was all they knew. So when they saw someone else mm-hmm. that was like them doing the same thing, they're like, oh, that was their key to like, oh, there is another way of life. There is something mm-hmm. like to them that like, this was the only. I, I was fine with it because it's like to them they didn't know anything else. They 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 saw that this was the only way, but then they were able to see that oh there is this other world there's this other way of living and it seems to be a little bit more peaceful, like we didn't even know that this thing was an yeah. option. Yeah, and and I understand like I agree with you. I I got the idea from that. It's like oh we there's another way of doing things. I just felt like it was a little too quick. At the very least, I would expected, um, is it Bebop and Rocksteady? Bebop Bebop and the- Rocksteady. Rocksteady. I felt like at the very least they would stay with Superfly and the rest would turn. Mm. Because that to me would make a little bit more sense. Because they've always been like the adversaries, the you know, the kind of like the, the 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 bad guys that keep coming back and back and um from the cartoons. But it, it seems like that I would hope that Seth Rogen and whoever and all the writers that they have a deep it seemed like they had a deep appreciation for the lore. So maybe this was their Oh my god. So it seems like this maybe this is a way for them to set up what's to come. Like, you know, maybe the next movie is about like um Shredder like converting all them. And then this is how they they you know Shredder becomes their mortal enemy because they create this family for themselves and then the what the movie halfway through the movie he's going to take them all away from him from them right that's a good point and i think i and i like that shredder wasn't in this movie because shredder's your go-to right yes. like he's like your establishing character like he's your main villain the fact that you're able to build a successful and a great story around something not with shredder your main guy your main person only fuels the sequel even more because we're like, oh man, we're gonna get Shredder now. We didn't get him in the first movie. We're gonna get him in the second. If you put him in the first movie, you kind of put all your eggs in one basket. So now they're able to tell a successful story 
And then now we have a little bit of a, you know, now we're really going to get them in the next one. Mm. So, um, so yeah. And even, even how it fared in the box office, it opened at number four, which I feel like in some cases, like, oh, it's a flop. But I wouldn't say so because the movie was going up against Barbie and, and Oppenheimer and that thing. And we see that the Meg 2 actually did fairly well. But like, if I'm not mistaken, that particular week, the Turtles opened at 28 million, which is only too shy from what uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, like Barbie had, hold on, I have the, I have the, uh, the photo here from when we posted it on our um, Instagram page at box office underscore bingers and our Facebook at thread page at box office bingers. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, every Sunday we post off the weekend numbers the weekend movie box office results. And here we go. Uh, yeah, so opening weekend, Barbie opened with 53 million. The Meg 2, The Trench opened with 30 million. Oppenheimer opened with 28.7 million. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles opened at number four with 28 million. So it was just shy of getting third place mm-hmm. um, from Oppenheimer by like 0.7. Like, so it could have easily been third if more people went to go see it. So it's not really a failure. It actually did fairly well. And as you can see here, Ernesto, thank you for pulling that up. It's doing pretty well yeah. right now. Uh, so far, grossing worldwide, $101 million, uh, $22 million internationally, $78 million domestically. Um, and it, I believe the budget, I have it here, uh, the budget was just just uh, just over seventy million, so they've already made so wow. they've already made their money back, so which is great because then that means we're we are highly very likely to get another to get the another get the next one, and that's like a hundred one million in what maybe ten days hundred that's, that's pretty good. oh no yeah you're right hundred one million excuse me yeah hundred one in about ten days right that today's the seventeenth the movie came uh, 15 out fifteen so days it's been out 15, fifteen days fifteen days so like, you know that's pretty good for so in two weeks right for the most part million on a seventy million dollar budget i mean so that's not a that's not a uh, a failure at all no like no, it didn't it's open, doing great a lot of people don't you know I, even again if we're, <laughs> i feel like we were getting a huge tease for our summer uh box office numbers talk um but it just kind of just goes to show that like it's not all about opening weekend numbers. Like a movie no. can still be successful financially. You just give it some time. Like people are going to be actively going to the movies and watching it. Um, and I think the one, and this is another tease. I'm not going to dive into it too much, but the biggest, the biggest success story out of this whole summer have been Pixar's elemental. That movie has been an underground hit right now because it didn't open too fair opening weekend, but little by little, it's just doing solid numbers, always in the top five. And then now it's doing – it's just great, I think, if I'm not mistaken, over $200 million worldwide. Holy shit, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is killing oh it God. internationally. Oh, my gosh. All right, so for those who are, are just listening, so we're looking at worldwide. It's made $444 million. Two hundred and ninety-three million, almost two ninety-four, is internationally, and one hundred and fifty million domestically. So, yeah, Ernesto, tell them, tell them what it opened with. It's at this domestic opening right here, twenty-nine million six hundred and two thousand. Wild! It's out of theater, so, so it doesn't have a. It looks like it's. I guess it's out. Of, it's out of theaters already. Yeah, it's. It's. I think it's. 
I think it's it, right now. It, it just came on video on demand, so you can rent it and you can buy it, or at least at the very least, you can buy it um, right now. And then eventually, I give it probably the end of September, early October. You'll probably see it on Disney Plus. Um, but I mean, that right there, that's that's like the movie opened at twenty nine million dollars, but look how much it was able to do like week after week. Because guess what, kids need to watch movies too, and. When like sure you can go watch Barbie and Oppenheimer, but also no one saw the Flash, so we're going to go see Elemental. And a lot of people earlier on consider it as a flop, and then it became like a slow success after that. And now it killed it. Four hundred and forty-four so, million, and its budget was only two hundred million. So it it already made it definitely at least it made its money back and became a financial success for Disney. Yeah, and also two hundred million. I mean, I mean, granted, if you think about it, like. The movie opened at twenty nine million and under a two hundred million dollar budget. Anyone can say that's a failure. Yeah, it's not great. Not not, not a great, great start. <laughs> no, it's not. But you know, over time, it killed it. So so yeah. And again, we'll be diving back into our box office conversation um, in in the next few weeks or so as the summer kind of closes out. But just having these small conversations itself, that, that it's just been wild what this uh, summer blockbuster season has given us. Um, so with that, Ernesto, your final thoughts on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Um, I loved it. I, I mean, I, I would love to – I would be pleasantly surprised if this movie is in the conversation for Best Animated Feature in the Oscars next year. I think the voice cast was incredible. I want to go find a Superfly comic, uh, a, a, a <laughs> TMNT with Superfly on the cover so that I could have um, – Ice Cube, if I were to ever meet him, if he were to ever to go to a con, which is very, very unlikely, but yeah. I have, that's what I would have him sign. <laughs> uh, I loved it. It was great. It was a great <laughs> film. I um like I like I I saw it by myself just for time wise for us to get this recorded, but um mm. I want to go see it again in the theaters and take the kids. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that you said you saw it by yourself because I thought, if in my opinion, you would have seen it with your kids. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't know that I saw it yet. I mean, I'm sure they know now. <laughs> they know now. <laughs> Wait a minute. Dad, Dad, were you talking about Ninja Turtles? You know we want to see that movie. He's like, yeah, well, we're going to watch it. Yeah, we're going to see it. We're, we're gonna watch well, it. in, in it. preparation for the episode, I had to, I, you know, time-wise, I had to get it in. I got it in. Yeah. I had to just get it in. I just, you know, with AMC A-list, I could just go see it again. <laughs> <laughs> nice shameless plug there. Exactly. Um uh, but yeah, I, I had a great time with this movie. It was just so much fun to watch. It's I think it's a story simple enough for all ages and for families to enjoy. They they snuck in a few things for the adults in there. Um, but I think well-rounded. It's just a well-rounded, great story. Um, animation looks beautiful. Voice acting, like you said. The cast killed it. It was constantly funny, constantly engaging. Um, and so, yeah, it's like everything that I want in an animated movie. Like it's it's all right there, and I think animated films have been like over the years have just been treated for children. And granted, yes, this was geared more to kids. But when you give us different animation styles and you give us like just funny quips, like that movie is not made for children. That movie is made for families. Yeah, and and like even like even talking about the the bigger uh, animated hit of the year was Super Mario Brothers. Like that for me was geared toward kids, and that to me was like a very polished, animated movie. Yeah. But the Mushroom Kingdom looked 
gorgeous, <laughs> though. I feel like that was a movie they wanted to make sure they got right. Like, we're not taking any chances. Like, it's going to look pristine. Yeah. And it made a billion dollars after it. Yeah. My, so, my, daughter's not... who's, my daughter, who's four, loves that movie. We've watched it at least 65 times. <laughs> it's, it's so bright and colorful. Yeah. I don't blame her. Yeah. Like... That I mean, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to to like, like I kids would watch it, and like I know I think we said that you know for me it was a little bit too kid like, but again the movie's not made for me in mind. Like I enjoyed some aspects of it, but it's for the kids through and through. Yeah, hundred percent. Like that that the movie's made for. Um, but yeah, I think this one was just a little bit has has the edge. Like it's it's funny. I I think it's great. I had a really good time watching the movie, and I think yeah, I'm reading it here. According to reports, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise has already crossed the $1 billion mark in retail sales in 2023. The sum includes everything from action figures to T-shirts to school supplies, video games, and more. And that success and, and all that, that, that large revenue when it comes to the, the sales has everything to do with the movie being as good as it is. Mm. And probably the hype for that movie as well. Um, so that was pretty cool to read that as well. Um, but yeah, but anyway, that's our thoughts on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Or right, now, so before we leave, though, I want to I want to talk about my movie theater experience for uh, the the Turtles movie. Oh, that's right. And I I went to go see this movie. I went to go visit our good friend Estevan, and he was a great host as I visited him in Corpus Christi. But what Texas has that Florida does not is an Alamo draft house. We need one. And and I we definitely need one. I did read that one's coming in Naples, to Naples, which is three and a half hours away from here. I'm far. not sure if that's worth it. That's too far. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe it's a start. It's a start. Maybe that's just the first one. We can, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Let's get the other one up here. Yeah, seriously. And we and we were so close to getting one too. Uh, it's so disappointing. Um, but yeah, so I walked into my first Alamo draft house and I – freaking loved it over there mm. like the these people are doing it for movie lovers for sure like i walked in there they had this giant mural of um of like a lot of these different movie characters like a draft like beer on draft for days like it's a huge bar that mm. they that you saw um it's a little bit smaller than your, your average theater but that's fine um, it's a dine-in theater as well. So they have this system, and I'm sure other movie theaters have implemented this as well. You sit in your table, and it's like it's like two chairs are connected to one table. They give you a menu, and then whatever you want, you write down a piece of paper, you fold a piece of paper, you put it in front of your table, and then a server will come and pick it up, and then will hand you your food um, like just like that. And then around when the movie's close to being over they would, you know, bring the bill over and then, you know, you do all that stuff as well. But I think probably the best, the two best things about the theater that I really enjoyed was one, before the previews, you know, when you get there a little bit early and like, you're kind of like, I'm sure a lot of people do for, especially for the Alamo Draft House, is that they get there a little bit early so they can order, you can order your food before the movie starts. So each theater is tailored. So you get different things playing depending on what movie you went to go see. So, I went to go see Ninja Turtles, and they were playing old school Ninja Turtle uh, um, cartoons, like cartoons and TV spots, like commercials, like for for Ninja Turtles, and like the screen, <clears throat> like was shown like an old TV box, 
and you had like the old like Ninja Turtles TV stand and everything. So I thought that was really cool. Like that was a good way to get myself into the mood of yeah. it. Um, Estevan was telling me that if you went to go see other movies, there might be like some behind the scenes, uh, like maybe like from the director or from, you know, whatever movie you went to go see, um, like behind the scenes stuff, maybe like um, some prep into the movie. Or in some cases, they'll give you some fun facts about the movie as well before you watch it. So I think that's really cool that they can, that they do that. And then eventually you get the previews and then you watch the movie from there. Um, I thought the seats were really comfortable. Um, they were pretty wide. Um, the atmosphere was pretty nice. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then the second fun thing that I saw was that in the bathroom, you know, they, they have like the sign say, please wash your hands for 20 seconds. But instead of just reading a sign that said that, they had, please wash your hands for 20 seconds or read this this monologue from 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 a from a famous movie <laughs> and they had four different monologues that i think one from lord of the rings and i forgot the other ones but it was like just read this and you watched your hands for 20 seconds and i was like that's so fun that's amazing like, just to do that that's incredible that's how <laughs> i love that yeah i want to go i would love uh, to so- i would love to experience that yeah, and, and also, like, even at, like, before the movie started, they were like, like, here's how Alamo, like, here's how you Alamo is what they called it. And, like, they explained how, like, to order your food and everything. And then they were also describing, like, their policy of, like, please be respectful for everyone around the movie. This is for the fans of movies. If you're being disruptive or if you're, if you're on your phone, we'll give you a warning. And then if you do it again, we're going to kick you out. Like, it was pretty upfront. Mm. Like, that's what we're doing. And so, like, I, don't, I respect that. That's for for movie lovers, for a, a huge appreciation for the movie theater experience. Give you little some fun facts along the way. The decor is also themed very much, you know, the same. I had a very pleasant experience going to an Alamo Draft House, and I would wholeheartedly do it again. Um, and hopefully, we can get one here soon as well. Um, so you sold me. Like, where do I? Yeah. Like, Steph, you know, we're going to have a conversation. I mean, I understand why we didn't go when I went up there to go see him, but it's because we were there with the kids. So I need to. So obviously I need to go back to Corpus Christi and go experience this Alamo Draft House. Yes. And also, it's like if you didn't if you want to go to the movies, which I don't know why you wouldn't. But there is like a restaurant there. You can just order the food Mm. and um, and, you know, you can just like they have tables where you can just sit down like in this area and eat the food if you wanted to. And they also have themed food for the movie. I know a lot of other theaters do that as well, but I went with one of their common options, which was a churro popcorn, Ernesto, Mm. a churro, a churro popcorn. And so I was like, huh, this could be either really good or really bad, but I'm going to give it a go because I've never had that before. And it seemed unique to this, to the Alamo draft house. So I was expecting popcorn and seasoning like other theaters do. No, 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 Ernesto. They freaking like they I feel like they had like a special batch of churros and popcorn just mixed in there. When I got the when I got like the the big like tub, it's a tub. It was like a, a like a glass tub. It wasn't like your plastic whatever. <laughs> It was like I was like, holy shit! This is like ceramic. This, this is like this legit. <laughs> this is legit. Like this is like the like the stuff you buy for your home. Yeah. Um, and it was so warm and so good. They had chunks of churros in the popcorn and the whole thing. It just like I didn't think this was gonna work. I expected to hate it, and it was like I couldn't stop eating it. 
It was mm. so good. That sounds like so that, good. It was it was like, wow, I'm, I'm really impressed. I felt like I wanted to try more food. I guess that's more of a reason to go back. But I was just like, damn, that's that's really good. Um, so yeah, it's so like they like they treat they they treat you well there. So I'm I'm I nothing but glowing reviews over the Alamo Draft House. I really wish we would get one over here. And if they do, I don't know, I feel like that's my new place to go hang out. That's that's all I have to say. Yeah, that's that's like a week. That's a weekly. Like forget AMC Stubbs. Like just every know, week. Right? It's like ooh, we're going to the, <laughs> we're going to meet you at the Draft House regular spot. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there you go. That's our, uh, that, that's all the show we have for you guys this week. I just want to give you a little tidbit of my experience at the Alamo draft house. Um, tell all of the listeners, Ernesto next week, what they can look forward to. We, I guess we're not going to go into the new DCU, but we are ba- taking baby steps. We are going to mm-hmm. be, we are going to be reviewing blue beetle. The, the first character of the DCU universe, but not the first DCU film. We got some special guests coming. Um, it's gonna be a fun time. It's gonna be a, a really, a really fun time. I'm really looking forward to this because this is really gonna. I feel like this is gonna set the stage for what James Gunn is bringing. Now, granted, he didn't. He doesn't have. He didn't really have anything to do with this project, but mm-hmm. he uh, he likes it enough that he's at least taking the character with him. That that's very true. And so, like, are uh, me personally, I'm going in with low expectations. Because I, I like the trailer is not selling me on Blue Beetle, but from what I've seen, like especially like like the trailers are not selling me, but it's getting a lot of positive buzz. Yeah, it seems like a fun so, movie. Yeah, so like I'm going in with low expectations. Um, but what about you? I'm going. I'm trying to go in with no expectations because I don't want to be disappointed. Like I want to. I think the problem is is that I'm already going in and I want to enjoy. It. I really want to like this movie. Yeah. Also because we're going as a family to go see it. So that so oh, there's okay. that too. So could yeah. go either way. That's that's fair. I I'm kind of I I'm hoping I'm going with low expectations, but I'm hoping to be surprised. Okay. Like I'm I'm, I'm I want to like this movie, but so far there hasn't been things that are showing me that I'm gonna like it. But I, I want to be proven wrong, so hopefully that can happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, but anyway, look, you can look forward to that next week. Um, and that is all the show we have for you guys this week. As always, we thank each and every one of you for listening to us just talk about movies um, and just have a good time doing it. If you want more from us, you can always find us on our social media channels, on Instagram at boxoffice underscore bingers, our Facebook, our TikTok, our Threads, and our YouTube page at Box Office Bingers. We are now doing videos uh, related to these episodes each and every week. So go over to our YouTube channel to check out all of that. Um, you can always find uh, also find us on our Twitter page at Box Office Binger without the S. Um, we really do appreciate you guys listening to us each and every week. We really thank you for doing that. Um, and Ernesto, I have fun talking with you as I do each and every week. Here we are, almost four years later. Here we are. Isn't that crazy? That was we, just wild. We slowly creeping up to episode two hundred. That's, I, I, wow. Right. Four years. That's kind of crazy years, to yeah. think about. It, it is crazy to think about, especially everything that we've been like how we started in the pandemic and now we're here and we're still doing it. It's, it's crazy. You got four kids and you can make time to do this. I don't. I don't know how you do that either. <laughs> I don't know. You only got one life. You make, you, I like to watch movies. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a good way to end the podcast. <laughs> All right. And for that, come back next week for more movie fun. And for that, I've been your host, Matt Diaz. It's been Ernesto Santos. See ya.